I've thought about that that phrase, that cliche, "Time heals all wounds." I don't think I don't think my wound will ever be healed. I think the pain's less. There's a lot of times when I don't want to lose the pain because that means I've completely forgotten and letting go, let go of Blake, and I don't want to do that. So, and I think I get some of that when I embrace the Christmas ornament or when I embrace the picture. I feel some of that pain, and it connects me to him. And time doesn't heal. I know love heals. I know love heals. Welcome to episode nine of Fight for Brilliance. I'm Justin Keller, and this is the show where every single week the goal is that you would be challenged to rebel against complacency and conformity and to fight for brilliance in every single area of your lives. And as I'm recording this, we are a month into the show. Um, I am just extremely grateful for all of the support from everybody who's been listening, everybody who's been sharing it. And I absolutely love what's happening here. One month into it and it feels really special, feels really meaningful. And so thanks for being a part of this. Today's conversation is another just special moment for me getting to share a story here today uh, of a good friend of mine. His name is Sam Newton. Over the years, I've had the chance to watch Sam go from a place uh, that was really dark, really tough in his life, losing his son. Um, his son, Blake, served in Iraq and he came back and he suffered from PTS and, and tragically took his own life. And I have seen Sam navigate this now for the last 10 years. Actually, this is a day after the 10-year anniversary. But I've seen Sam turn something like that in his life into something that has really spurred on some incredible changes for Sam and some incredible impact for Sam and, and through his life. And so in this episode, we talk about Sam becoming an Ironman triathlete, which if you don't know what an Ironman is, you have to complete a 2.4 mile swim first, then you do a 112 mile bike, and then you run a marathon all on the same day. And he didn't just do that once. He's done that eight times now. So Sam is a beast on that front. But he also talks about how he had to intentionally face the pain that he was going through. He talks about how he had to overcome the lie that he had to just be a tough guy through all of this. Um, he talks about how time doesn't heal all wounds and how he found blessing and is finding blessing through this in his life. And we also talk about how can you be there for people going through tragedy like this? As a dad myself, this was a very tough conversation to have, and I'm just super grateful for Sam's vulnerability and just openness about this. I also just want to thank those who are serving our country and all that you sacrifice for us. Uh, this conversation, it may be tough for some to hear, but if you've ever lost somebody, I, I know you'll find hope through this. And if you want to just learn how to be there for people and understand people who are going through some major stuff in their life, this is an episode that I'm so grateful to be able to share with you. Every one of us are already made brilliant. You don't have to create that brilliance and you don't have to wish you had it. It's already in you. But you're going to have to fight to find that brilliance and you're going to have to fight even harder to live out your brilliance. 
Now let's get ready to have a conversation that will challenge you to rebel against complacency and conformity and fight for brilliance in every area of your life. Well, thanks for making time to chat today. Thanks, you're welcome. I think the last time that I saw you, I don't know if you remember at all, but it would have been an Ironman race at least three years ago now. Did you do Ironman three years ago? The last Ironman Texas was in 16. So So yeah, three years ago. Three years ago. I came up to watch just a little bit and you were coming down the finish line, like getting ready to get on the finish line. And I caught you real quick across from that restaurant area right there. I think I remember that. I think I remember that now. And I didn't expect to see you, but it was this, it was really special to see you because I've always just admired you and <laughs> respected how you started with racing and mm-hmm. just pushing yourself to the limit. And so it was really fun to see. That's the last time I remember seeing you. So it's yeah. been a while. But I was probably pretty delirious at that point. So, uh, you know, I, I saw Elvis a couple of times in, in some of those finishes. As long as you didn't see Tupac. <laughs> I didn't see Tupac, no. Um, did you, what did you, what was your time that year? Do you remember? That year, that was, uh, was that the year of the storm? That was the year of the mega storm, wasn't it? I think you're right, yeah. So it was a shortened course. It was a shortened bike mm-hmm. course. It was a 13. I, I can say this with confidence. It was a thirteen eighteen, but then again, it was a shortened bike course. Yeah. So uh, that's typically not my finish time. So, uh, but it was if if sixteen, if my memory serves me right, that was the shortened bike course. Well, what was your fastest time? Do you remember at all? For all the Ironmans, yeah. I've done eight, and I just finished uh, Ironman Florida two and a half months ago, and I set a PR thirteen twenty six. Okay, so Ironman Florida. That's one that I've. Yeah. Kind of have on my radar oh, it's to do awesome. sometime. It is. Yeah, it's awesome. The uh, what's the swim like? The swim can kind of be unpredictable. Yeah, uh, I've done it two years. I did it in 2017 and 2019, and uh, both both times the swim was great. The swim was great, but yeah. there has been some times when the the breakers. Uh, for the first three or four hundred yards, are pretty intense, pretty that's intimidating. Would, that's why I would wonder, yeah, yeah. But it's it's almost always wetsuit legal. Yeah. So in that sense, you feel pretty secure in a buoyant wetsuit. But once you get past the breakers, it's pretty good. But it's it's really a good course. What was? I don't know if I've even asked you this before, but I, I probably I probably did. What was the turning point for you? Because you've done eight Ironmans. Mm-hmm. How many other races, like you've done a lot of triathlons? Yeah, I've done, a, a, you know, a, probably four half Ironmans, and I can't tell you how many sprints I've done. Yeah, and what about, like, do you just do any running on just, like, half marathons on your own? And yeah, I've done a few half marathons. Um, uh, the Woodlands Half, I do it just about every year. Uh, my wife is training for the Houston Marathon, so we did a 25K together, and we did a 30K together. Okay, and so, uh, you know, we, oh yeah, I, I still enjoy road races, yeah. just, just plain road races. They're so much simpler and <laughs> stress-free compared to an Ironman. Yeah. So yeah, I still, I love, I love, I love that. I love the environment of being around people like that. Everybody is so positive, you know, I, I don't think you can train for and complete an Ironman without having a positive attitude. You just can't do it. And to a, to the same degree, but maybe a little bit lesser degree, you can't do you can't finish a half marathon. You can't finish a 10k. You can't finish the 10 for Texas 10 miler. I've done that uh, 10 years in a row now. 
You, you can't do that with a negative attitude. Yeah. You, you can, but you don't find a lot of people with negative attitudes doing those sort of things. And that's what I love about that environment, being around those kind of people. You, you say that as, as if it's something that's super easy for you, though, as far as the positive attitude. Because for me, like I just did a swim this morning, and <laughs> I thought maybe I shouldn't do Ironman Texas this year in that swim. You know, like it's how do you keep yourself from negativity setting? And I just I find myself having to fight that a lot. Yeah, you, you know, I I don't do Ironman to set any world records. You know, I'm I'm not going to place. I'm not going to podium. Uh, first, second, or third. Although, you know, if I did, I wouldn't be too, too ashamed of it, too, yeah. too, uh, disconnected from that. But, you know, to me, going out, I did a 10 miler yesterday. I was supposed to do a five miler. Don't tell my coach. <laughs> supposed to do a five miler. And I, and I went out yesterday and the weather was beautiful and I felt good. And I just kept running. And I knew that from a fatigue standpoint, it was going to hurt because I haven't done a 10 miler in a month or so. But I knew mentally and emotionally how I was going to feel mm-hmm. after finishing a 10 miler. What concept, is it? What do you feel after you do that? I, I, I just feel, I feel, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's the endorphins that, that, you know, that uh, mysterious endorphins <laughs> release that people say you get, but a, a sense of accomplishment that I've done something for myself that's been healthy. You know, it's, it's a, it's a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Um, Justin, I can't tell you the number of times I've, I've faced some difficult decisions, whether it's life or whether it's work. Um, and I'll tee it up before I go on a run. I mean, literally I walk to mm-hmm. the end of the driveway and I go, okay, I'm going to run. I'm going to run, I'm going to run hard or I'm going to run long. And when I come back to this driveway at the end of my run, I'm going to make a decision about that mm-hmm. issue. I couldn't make a decision before I went for the run because things were cloudy, things were confusing. I just, you know, couldn't s- sort through all the peripherals, all the the residual issues. And when I finished the run, the answer is clear as day. Yeah. And and I don't know. It's a it's a soothing. It's a it's a meditation for me. It's a, it just, it's it's just really beneficial. It's interesting you say that because I think about um, I used to say I don't have time. Like I'd get busy with work and then I would say I don't have time to go for a run. I find it maybe in similar you know, stages as you, which would be when I'm feeling really stressed about work yeah. or it's starting to mount up. Yeah. 30, 45 minute run, I can come back with a clear head yeah. and kind of attack it again. Do you find that? Absolutely. Yeah. There's been days when, you know, I've, I mean, I, I'm a, as a consultant, I work with some, some great people. And then as a consultant, I work with some very challenging people. <laughs> And there have been some days when I just come home and just I'm just exhausted. Yeah. And the least when I least want to run, that's when I have the best runs. Whether it's run or bike or swim, that's when I have my best exercise sessions because I guess it's you get you get that much more benefit of the cleansing effect of the exercise from being super stressed out before you do it. So yeah, yeah. What so for you though? Was training, just running, even triathlons, was that always part of your life? No, it wasn't. I, uh, I did some, some I probably did, did five or six sprint tries when my kids were young. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. But raising kids, uh, it just, 
and, and, and working. And I, and I was very career conscious and, and uh, I probably did five or six of them. I just didn't have time to train and, and do that. I stuck with the running, with the road running, the 5Ks and the 10Ks, and I've been doing that for 40 years. But I had to, to, to quit the triathlon training. And so, uh, uh, and then when I lost my son in uh, 2010, uh, I, I went to the finish line of Ironman, Texas, and I watched people coming across the finish line at Ironman, Texas. And, uh, and it was so emotional. Mm-hmm. And it was in 2011. And uh, it was very emotional. And, that, you know, Blake had been gone a year, still fresh on my mind. And I don't know, it was just maybe it was a convergence of uh, where I was emotionally and mentally just being drained from Blake's death and then seeing these heroes struggling across the finish line at 14, 15, 16, 17 hours. And I was moved. And I remember that that night at the finish line, my wife and I were walking back to our car (laughs) at about a 20-minute walk to the car. And I was so pumped up. I was so this is so cool. And, and I, and I said, Hey, Marlo, do you think I could do one of those? And it was dead silence. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do one. Especially since she didn't say yes. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't say yes. She didn't say no. It was silence. And that was, and that was earth shattering to me. That was pretty loud to me. What? So you'd say the turning point. So is it fair to say the turning point for you was Blake or, Losing Blake, or was it the culmination of things? It, it was. There was a couple of other things. You know, I lost Blake in 2010, in January 2010. Yeah. You know, you know, we're right here on the 10th anniversary, and um, yeah, I, I wasn't handling it well. You know, for the first six months, I, I was very depressed. Very, you know, I really struggled. Uh, you know, and let me back up. For the first two or three years, I really struggled. Yeah. To be honest with you. It's hard. You know, Blake was 23. He was, I've always said that when I grow up, I want to be like my son. You know, he played varsity football and he was in the, the recon uh, sniper unit and in Iraq and, and heard wonder, incredible stories of some of the things that he did. A lot of this were from some of his battle buddies after, after he had passed away. I heard some of the things that Blake did and he accomplished and, you know, and his bravery was just, I can never imagine myself being as brave as he was at that age, at 23, because I, you know, I wasn't anything close to that. So, yeah. and, and I'll still say today, when I grow up, I want to be like my son. But uh, uh, I didn't handle it well. And one of the areas, you know, some people drink, some people do drugs. I didn't have that. I ate. Mm. And, and I guess that was my comfort. That was my comfort. I ate. I'm nearly 70 pounds lighter than uh, probably the day I made the choice to start triathlons again. Wow. And I, I had taken a business trip up in Oklahoma and uh, with a good friend of mine and, and it, just to see a client. And uh, he said, hey, you know, check into the hotel. When you get checked in, call me and uh, uh, I'll meet you. Okay, so we met in the hotel bar. This was in Oklahoma City. So we met in the hotel bar, and we had a couple of drinks. And he said, hey, how about let's go, get, let's go get some food. So he took me to this steak place in Oklahoma, these big, fat steaks, and, of course, the sides, the potatoes, and, 
And I ate all that and I was just miserable. And then we ate dessert. <laughs> I mean, we had this massive dessert. I was absolutely miserable. I walked into the hotel room that night. I opened up my laptop and I signed up for a triathlon. That's amazing. And uh, at the time, my son-in-law, who was doing triathlons, had a coach named Matt. And I sent Matt a text message. And I said, Matt, I just signed up for a triathlon, sprint triathlon, and it's in five weeks. Can you get me ready? (laughs) And he said, sure. Do you have a bike? And I said, no. He said, buy a bike. And that was my... That's how you started. Mm -hmm. That's how I started. And that was in... 2012. I want to talk more about the, the your time, you know, healing through everything with Blake and, and losing your son. I want to talk more about that for sure. Um, but I'm curious because when I started, I was also a lot heavier than what I would race at. Yeah. Um, and I did kind of go extreme, like let's jump right into Ironman. Let's go for it. What was the biggest challenge for you making the changes? Because one, <laughs> like for me, I think about a couple of things. Okay, there's the side of you're dealing with the loss of your son. Yeah, you are feeling probably frustrated with where you're, the way you feel, mm-hmm. and now you're trying to tackle something again, like something big with these other, especially with the variable of with Blake. Did it feel like that? I don't know, just what were your challenges, I guess, with making the change? Well, like all the different dynamics you had going on in your life. Yeah, well, one, walking into the hotel room that, that night, I was 238, 235 pounds. And, and I just, I felt miserable. And I, and I knew right then, I don't want to go through life feeling this way. Mm. It's, it's not healthy. And this is not who I want to be. And uh, it wasn't the outward appearance. It was, I just did not feel good internally. So hiring Matt, uh, I think getting started was tough. I'd always been a runner, but um, you know, and a coach will will write will write your workout, prescribe your workout a week at a time, and he had me working out every day. And I thought this is not right. I need to work out every other day. I'm I'm old and I'm I'm fat, and <laughs> and uh, and I said, Matt, you know, I'm kind of tired. He goes, well, You got to push through it. The first you know three or four months are going to be tough, and you got to push through it. And, but I got some pretty quick feedback uh, within, you know, two or three weeks that, that this is paying off. My mm-hmm. heart rate went down. My blood pressure goes down. I start feeling better about myself. And uh, you start feeling better about yourself. You carry yourself better. You carry yourself differently. You present yourself differently. You speak differently. And I began to see success and, and benefits of that uh, in all aspects of my life, personal and business. Let me ask you this then. And would you say that, um, do you think it helped you start to face what you were up against with dealing with the loss of your son? Do you think it, yeah, yeah. that was a turning point at all for you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been on runs you're fine. And he shows up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's not, he's not physically there. I know that. But I know he shows mean. up. You know, this, it's, it, it's a memory. It, it is a, it is a, it's a consciousness. And I just go, wow, he's here, you know. And um, I remember doing Ironman Arizona. 
and uh, water was super cold, 64 degrees. And it was just a big loop. And I remember coming back on the loop, I felt so good. And Blake was there. Hmm. He was with me every stroke. Um, I, I heard some stories that Blake had experienced, some of the things that he had experienced in Iraq. And, uh, and I get courage from that. Because I know Blake is is watching, and I know that he's <clears throat> he's thinking to himself, "Good job, pops. Good job." Uh, funny story: uh, the very first sprint triathlon that I did in 2012, the one that I signed up five weeks in advance. Yeah, I was so scared, Justin. It was a 300 yard pool swim, 300 yard pool swim, and I was scared to death. Somebody had given me a five dollar bill, I'd have loaded my bike up and I'd have come home. I was so scared. I was so nervous. 300 yards, which is nothing today, right? After you've done, after you've done 2.4 mile swims, you know. Yeah. And you've trained as much as you have to do those big swims and those big races. Yeah, yeah, you're right. At that point, 300 is like, that's, that's not even, this is shorter than the first part of your warm up. <laughs> yeah. And so it was still nearly dark standing next to the pool. And all these people were there. It was pretty intimidating. And I heard a voice and it was my son. Mm. He said, Pops, you're just going to swim in a pool. What's the big deal? He said that. It's no big deal. You're just going to swim in the, you're swimming in a pool. It's clear water. What's the big deal? And my nerves just went to nothing. Hmm. And to this day, before I get in the water, whether it's a half Ironman, a full Ironman, or a sprint, Blake is there. And I remember those words. You're just going to swim in this lake. You're just going to swim in this ocean. This, it's no big deal. And you know, he's right. At the end of the day, you hardly remember the swim after the bike yeah. and the run. But the, to me, the most intimidating part of the day is starting the swim. Uh, and I always say, if I can just get out of the water, I'll have this day made, which is only an hour and 15 minutes, hour and 10 minutes of the whole day, the 14-hour day. Well, longer for guys like me, but you've gotten really fast. So, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, knowing what Blake went through, uh, and how he suffered from PTS, uh, and from some of the stories that, that I know he experienced from some of his battle buddies, yeah, it gives me a lot of strength. Had you experienced, you know, there's nothing, I can't even imagine losing my son as a dad. I can't imagine this. It's, it's hard to fathom. I've, I've, had, I've been told early on that our son might not make it to be two years old. There was, I have yeah. been in those situations, but to actually lose my son, I, that's, I, I don't know even how to categorize that, you know? But for me, I guess my question for you would be, had you experienced big trauma like that before and a big adversity like that, that you've had to, over, that you had to overcome years, you know, leading to that? Yeah, I lost both my parents in 91. I lost my mom and uh, mm -hmm. I lost my dad in March. Uh, of 91 uh, from cancer. And I lost my mom in September of that same year from cancer. That was a pretty traumatic year that, you know, actually the year before that, taking care of them. And then, then the, that year, yeah. 1991. And, uh, but I was raising kids and I was thick in the middle of my career. So I had some things that I, that, that would, I guess, help me work through that you know, occupy my, my mind and occupy my time. Uh, but it was, you know, and it was pretty traumatic. I was 32 at the time, uh, but it was nothing 
nothing compared to losing my son. I don't wish that on anybody. Um, you know, my son and I were, were very, very close. Um, and I got a divorce. He lived with me and uh, we hung out together and we, we had our place. And uh, How many years did you get to have with him where he was living with you before you were remarried? Well, uh, he, 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 I got a divorce when he was 13 and then um, he graduated um, in, in 2005. So he was 18. So five years uh, he and I lived together. Uh, Marlo and I didn't get married until 2006. But you had that, you had five years of that yeah. time together. Yeah. How five special. Years, great. That was awesome. Oh yeah. We, it was, it was some good times. Um, I, I hang out with three other guys. Uh, we've gotten to know each other pretty well. They've also lost their sons. Uh, all two of them were 23 years old when they, their sons were when they passed away, and one was 22. And most recently, uh, uh, one of the one of the sons committed suicide. You know, similar to Blake. And um, uh, last night we met, and uh, we were telling stories about our boys. Their three boys were rugby players, and my son was a 5A football player, varsity football player. Those kids can get in trouble real quick. And we look back on it, on some of those experiences, and we laugh now. You know, we weren't laughing in those days, but we laugh now. Uh, yeah, we had some, some, some father-son times, some difficult times, uh, but we, you know, the, the good times uh, far exceeded the the tough times and it just overall it's just a wonderful memory this might not be a fair question so i apologize if it's not but did you when you were having that especially that five years together where it was just you and him mainly did you did you realize just how special that was in that moment do you think you know i don't i don't think it did hmm. i don't think i grasped it you know i if, if you'd asked me then i would have said yeah yeah i know how special this is yeah. but in hindsight Knowing what I know now, no, I didn't realize how special that time was and what I wouldn't give to have it back. Yeah. Do you find yourself, though, being able to feel any bit of gratitude to recall that? Time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the first three or four years, extremely tough, especially this time of year and the holidays. Um, Blake made a little ornament in 92 uh, when he was seven years old. Special little ornament. It's a little box. It's wrapped in paper and has a sweet little poem. Uh, Don't open this box because it's full of my love for you. And, and for the first two or three years after Blake died, I think two weeks before Marla would, would pull the Christmas ornaments down, I'd start pressuring up because I knew that that ornament was going to be there that and other ornaments other things too and it was just really stressful it was just, my anxieties i could feel them go up and and I, I could feel the depression coming on and that was the first two or three years and finally she you know she'd pull it out and she'd always put it on that table right over there because that's you know i sit in that chair and i read and that's the table and then I'd, I'd see it and and the first couple of years i had trouble looking at it i really did uh what I have found now is I embrace those moments and, and just go, you know what? I was able to, to have a relationship with a young man for 23 years that 
super special. And I'm going to embrace those memories that used to be filled with anxieties. And I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to lean into them. I'm going to walk into them and I'm going to hold them. I may cry, but I'm going to love them. I'm just going to hold them in my hands and I'm just going to love those memories. And I think that's, uh, that's some advice I've given to these other three fathers is don't shy away from those memories that, that are going to make you emotional. Don't shy away from those. It's part of the healing process. You take those ornaments, you take those pictures, you take those whatever it is, and you, you embrace them and you call them yours. And that will help you get through some of the toughest of times. Doesn't mean you're not going to cry. But, you know, I'm 10 years past this. Those guys are only about two years, three years past their situation. And so, uh, and they may not be ready to embrace it yet, but hopefully someday they will. All right, we're going to get right back into this conversation with Sam. But before we do, I just wanted to take a second and invite you to sign up for the Fight for Brilliance newsletter. This is an email that I send out each week where I share a thought that week with you. I share some of the resources that I'm using in my life to help me fight for brilliance. It's really in every area of my life from the way that I'm eating to the things that I'm listening to, the books I'm reading. I share those with you so that together as a community, we can fight for brilliance in every area of our lives. And to sign up for that, all you have to do is text the word brilliant to the number 33777. Text the word brilliant to the number 33777. I'd love to have you be part of this community beyond the show. Now let's get back to this conversation with Sam as he talks about being deliberate and choosing to intentionally face the pain in his life. Let me ask you this though, and you know, it's you 10 years past it, but it doesn't mean you're 10 years over it. No, no. And it, you, it sounds like, I mean, there's Blake right behind us as, you know, right behind you, I can see him right there. On, you have made a deliberate choice, it sounds like, to face the pain that comes with remembering someone you love so much. Yeah, I like that word deliberate. You know, it's a, it was a deliberate choice. The word that I used with the guys last night was intentional. You know, don't I like that. Don't be don't don't let it happen to you. You you intentionally create that experience, that embrace. So be intentional. It's hard to do. Uh, there's a couple of things that I haven't faced yet. I can't drive down the street uh, that Blake lived in when he when he uh, took his own life. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Won't do it. Uh, how do you, how do you feel about that? I mean. To everybody needs to have their own pace on how they heal, and yeah, and, and yeah, I fully believe that. But for you, how do you navigate that? Do you put that in the category of someday I will, or I'm not going to put pressure on me to, to? How do you navigate that? That's exactly right. I'm not, I'm not going to say never because I, I do things today that I, you know, eight years ago said I would never do, you know, uh, that I wouldn't do. I'll never say never. But I'm not going to pressure myself. If I don't have to do it, I won't do it. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if it's a protection. I don't know if it's still part of that denial process, uh, that denial phase of grief. I'm not sure. I'm not going to worry about it. You know, if I, if I get too pressured up, I'll just go for a 10-mile run and, and everything will be okay. Yeah. So um, I don't know if that, if that explains it to you or not. Yeah. What, 
would you say has been the hardest thing to face in you talk about you know that ornament moment yeah right there's multiple moments that we are choosing to face yeah. the pain which what's what's been if you're open to sharing that what's been yeah, I tell the, you the hardest one of the hardest things for me is you know Blake had some great buddies some great you know high school buddies and some great army buddies uh, I'm Facebook friends with all of them and I think one of the toughest things that I experienced today, Justin, is to see Blake's high school buddies raising a family. Mm. And I see them raising a family on Facebook. <sighs> Blake would have been 32. And these young men, beautiful wives and beautiful kids. And uh, I just think, you know, Blake, where would he be? Yeah. I know he had, you know, he was married, uh, but you know, fortunately, he didn't leave any kids fatherless. Uh, but I know he, you know, I know he had a beautiful wife, and I know he would have had beautiful kids, and he would have been gr a great father. I think that's really tough. I, I go through that all the time. Uh, I see uh, Graham, his kids. I see. Uh, I see Blake's good buddies with, you know, experiencing the, the joy of childbirth and yeah. raising kids. And some of them are going to first grade. And, and I see that. And that's, and that's really, really tough. What do you do to, I guess, fight through those moments that you're maybe reliving that or thinking that? Like, what do you, how do you find yourself keeping yourself sane through the pain sometimes? You know, you know, I uh, there's there's a lot of hardships that came with Blake's death. A lot. The magnitude is just, you know, and the magnitude of each one is just so tremendous. But I look back, I look back at so many of the positive things that have happened as a result. You know, uh, the men's groups that I've been involved with. Mm -hmm. That started because these guys supported me through Blake's loss. We had some, you know, I've got some some men friends that are just that are just awesome. That are just you know I can I can depend on I can rely on uh, this the little group of men that I'm I'm working with now. I mean that's that is if Blake hadn't passed away, I wouldn't be able to help those guys. Um, mm -hmm. It has cleansed my faith. For how, years, how has it cleansed your faith? That's a pretty interesting statement. It, for years, I asked myself, well, I, you know, for years I said, God, why did you do this to my son? And uh, I mean, I used to yell and scream, you know, right here on the floor and just cry. You know, why did you do this? You know, God, you know, I, I tithe, I went to church, I led small groups. So why did you? Why did you do this to me? Why did you do this to me through my son? And uh, through a couple of other friends and just, just talking through it, I realized I was asking the wrong question. And, and I realized the question should be, God, why did you allow this to happen? See, I, I'm, I'm fully of the belief that God doesn't bring 
pain and, and, and suffering in the world. He allows it because He allows us to, to uh, exhibit free will. He, he allows us to be free agents. And a culmination of all the free will decisions and choices that people made, not only Blake that night, but the people around him that shaped him, that influenced him, that formed him, myself, all of those things came together at that moment to create that result. God allowed it. He didn't cause it. And, and, and now I'm going, okay, well, God, if you allowed it, you had to allow it for a reason. Now, I don't, I'll never know what that reason is. Mm-hmm. And, and people will come up to me and say, hey, you know, you need to read this book. This will help you understand why Blake did what he did that night. And I just, I'll take that book and throw it in the trash can. Because okay? there's no book, there's no scripture, there's nothing in this in this world that will say, oh, that's why Blake did what he did that night. Yeah. But Because B- only Blake can answer for that, right? Only God can answer that. Well, And Blake. Yeah. You know, only God can answer that. And you know what, Justin? Hmm. I, I want to keep asking that question. God, why did you allow this to happen? Because I think in there, in my seeking, the answer to that question draws me closer to God. But it also helps me identify opportunities that I can serve others through this horrific, traumatic experience. That is um, beautiful. Yeah, that is beautiful. So, uh, That's it, still not easy though, right? No, it's yeah. not. And, and, and if it were all, if I could snap my finger and take it back to January 20th, 2010, I'd figure out a way to circumvent what God allows, you know, <laughs> somehow. I know. But one of the things that I've gotten involved with is, is homeless veterans. You know, Blake was never homeless. But uh, I can see how you know, a couple of bumps in the road, you know, these guys lose a job, they lose their, their housing, and then they lose their car, and they're living under a bridge. And uh, so I've been serving for the last three and a half, four years at uh, a homeless veterans organization in, in downtown Houston. And I walk in, and I, and, and I see Blake. Hmm. I see Blake. And, and so I, I, in, in asking God, why did you allow this? I've been able to discover lots of opportunities to serve God. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know that my faith would be as strong today uh, without my Blake experience. You see people differently, I'm guessing, because of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can walk into those and look at the face of those veterans and not just say, "Oh, I'm here to just help." Like you're, you're, you see them differently than just being an aid to them, right? Yeah, it's a deep. You know, Blake had a he had an an ability to see past earrings, body art, uh, long hair. You know, poorly dressed. Blake loved everybody. He just uh, he, he 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 didn't have a biased bone in his body. He loved everybody, and and I and I and I and I, and I feel that now. Blake has handed me some of that some of that grace. So yeah, I, I look at people a lot differently. Uh, I can see you know a lot of Blake's buddies, his battle buddies, I've I've connected with, and a couple of them have talked about suicide. And, and I've been able to connect with those guys and, and uh, develop a relationship and, and, and hopefully speak some hope into those guys' lives as well. 
Well, it's it. You talking, it feels like it's effortless. I know that it takes an enormous amount of strength to be able to do the things you're doing and to say the things you're saying. Yeah, I know, and I know you're not just saying these things. You live this, which is why I wanted to have this conversation with you, because I know that's a fight, that's a battle, yeah. and you're choosing to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I just admire, it. I respect it. The question, another question I have for you is just thinking about. Uh, we talked a little bit before we started even recording here, just how the dynamics that, of things that we go through, loss of children, how can how that can impact a marriage. Yeah. How did you and your beautiful wife get through this together? And were there times where, like, I'm just curious how you got through it together because yeah. you're still here 10 years and, and, and we're sitting here, it's going to be 10 years to the day on the uh, 21st mm-hmm. of January here. We're just 10, uh, 11 days away or so. So you've been able to stay together mm-hmm. while you're hurting, while you're going through everything you're going through. And I just curious how you guys got through it together. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was telling you before we began uh, shooting that I read that eighty six percent of of marriages who suffer the loss of a child. Now, Marla wasn't my son's natural mom, but still, eighty six percent end up in divorce. That's a pretty high statistic. And I want to say, not whether it's the she gave birth to the, to him or not. It, I think they're relevant to some degree. Like, it, it, it really is. She yeah. she was very very close to Blake, yeah. and Blake was very close to her. Right. But I'm telling you, the first three or four years, I was tough to live with. Uh, moody. Uh, wasn't the most loving guy in the world. It was very very tough, and I you know, and God graced me with a with a a wife that's so forgiving, and and loved me through the most difficult chapter that I hope I ever experienced. And uh, without her faithfulness, without her commitment, I, I don't know where I'd be today. She is, she's an integral part. She's, she was a very critical variable in, in, in my recovery. She just, she just knew how to give you space that you needed and give you the time, I guess, or yeah, what? Yeah, she's a, a very empathetic, very caring, very giving person, almost to a fault. I mean, she really, she really is. And that's not just to me, but it's just to, to everybody. And one day, I don't remember if it was a week after, or I was sitting there in the chair and, and I was just crying about crying. And she sat on the ottoman and she takes my, my face in her hands and she gets real close to me. She goes, what do you need from me? And I said, I need you to get out of my face. <laughs> so that's how I responded to the most loving angel that God could put on this planet for me. Not very gracious, but, <laughs> but that is kind of a model. That was kind of a representation of, of our relationship for three or four years. I was, you know, I've been supposed to be a tough guy and, and hold it all in and, and not, not not emote these 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 emotions, not show these emotions. And here she was wanting to be there for me, and I wasn't letting her in. And over time, that you know that facade broke, and 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 I was able to 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 let her in and 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 help with the healing process. Why did you say that? Here you are, supposed to be a tough guy, mm-hmm. hold it all in. Why did you say that? That's you know that's 
I think that's kind of what society expects mm-hmm. of men. Um, I mean, I, I was literally told, hey, m- my friend lost their son and she recovered in two or three years. You need to get over it. And, and, and those are, those are some pretty tough words and, uh, which are, which are completely, um, it's BS. It's BS. It's completely inappropriate. Completely inappropriate. Yep, inappropriate, you're right. And so, um, you know, I just, I just think there were a couple of guys, Charlie and David, you know, I don't know if you want their last name, Charlie and David, I could be real around those guys. And, uh, Charlie and David, we used to, before Blake died, we, we, we met up at Black Walnut for breakfast every Saturday morning. And after Blake died, they made me continue to meet up at Black Walnut every Saturday morning, even though I didn't want to be there. You know, I just, I just wanted to shut out the world. I just wanted to lay on the couch in the fetal position and just hope the world would go away. But Charlie would open up the discussion this way. He'd say, how are you doing? And that's really... You know, when when Charlie would say that, I knew he 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 genuinely uh, cared, and David genuinely cared when I asked that question, and that gave me permission to 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 just lay it out there. And, and most of it was pretty ugly, most of it was pretty emotional, and they just sat and listened. They didn't try to fix it. Yeah, you can't fix it. There's no answer to why your son takes his own life. There's no earthly answer. I'll get the answer to that question someday, not on this earth, but in heaven, I'll get the answer to that question. And then I'll see all the good that God used that horrific experience. There's a, there's a, there's, you know, there's the scripture where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm extrapolating. So hopefully I won't be uh, stricken with a lightning bolt here. But I think where pain abounds, God, God's love and His forgiveness and His mercy and His compassion abounds even more. To the, to, to, in ways that I can't identify, Charlie and David are a couple of those ways. And the guys that I met with last night... Uh, We've all lost our sons, the U.S. vets, all of these things. And I, and I could go on for chapters and chapters about some really cool stuff that has come from Blake's death, the result of Blake's death. So that's that. It's, it's hard to go from the pain we feel from loss to any, any loss, any adversity to seeing the good that comes from it. It's, do you feel like that's something that if somebody would have told you there's going to be good that comes from this early, you, oh. would, have, you would have believed them. You had, you just kind of have to feel this and experience it for yourself, right? Yeah. I, you know, there's no way I would have accepted something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I had people say uh, it was God's plan. No, it wasn't God's plan. Uh, it's God's will. No, it's not God's will. God is, you know, the, the adjective used to describe God the most uh, in, the, in the New Testament is love. And I, I guarantee you, God cried just as much as I did that night. And He's cried just as many tears as I've cried over the last 10 years. 
What are yeah. the words that you would have wanted to hear from people more or that you would say to someone now yeah. in, in your shoes? You know, people... This has come up a, a number of times. People say, I don't know what to say to them. You know, they'll say, I've got a friend who just lost a husband or they just lost a spouse or they just lost a, lost a son or they've gone through this tra tragic situation and I don't know what to say to them. And I said, that's great. Then keep your mouth shut, but just go and sit with them. Just go and sit with them. Just let them know you're there because you can't fix it. You, you got to let people work through the pain. You, if you try to fix it, if you try to push people through that that grief model, it doesn't go well. I had a an executive, Fortune 100 company, who was a client of mine. Blake dies on a Thursday night. And Friday morning at 9 o'clock, he's here. He's on his way to his office, and somehow or another, his, his assistant heard about Blake's death. And she called Brian and said, did you hear about Sam's son? He said, no. She told him, and he turned around on, on Hardy Toll Road and came straight here. He walked in, and, and of course, I was a basket case. And he asked Marlo, he said, what do you need? And Marlo says, well, you know, we're getting a house full of people. I know this sounds weird. We've got a house full of people, but we're running out of toilet paper. No problem. He gets in his Denali, GMC Denali, and he goes and buys a case of toilet paper and brings it back. And we sat out in the courtyard, and he just sat there. I'll never forget that. He didn't try to, to offer any fix-it advice. He didn't try to offer any soothing words. He just sat there. Mm -hmm. And that same morning, uh, uh, a friend said, "What do you need from What do you need from us?" There were three or four of us sitting out there. I said, "I don't know. I, I I just want you to sit there. I just wanted to know that those guys were there with me in the foxhole. That's all." Mm. It, so my advice: if you if you ever are, are in a relationship and somebody is hurting, somebody has lost something. Just be there for them. Don't tell them it's going to get better. That's not what you want to hear. It's not what I wanted to hear. Don't tell them it's in God's plan. Don't tell them God has a reason for everything. You don't want to hear that. You just sit there and say, can I fix you something to drink? You know, can I go pick up some food for you? You want to go anywhere? Nope. Okay. You know, what do you want to watch on TV? You just, you just be. And and that that's that's my advice to to people that find themselves in that kind of a situation. Speaking of saying the right things or wrong things, um, there's a saying, you know, time heals all wounds or all pain or however that. How do you feel about that? Here we are. I know it's ten years now but do you feel what do you feel like time does in the healing process is it heals all wounds or what do you feel like for you time does i think uh, i can remember the first day or two or three after blake's death i i can remember 
Justin thinking to myself, if I could just snap my fingers and be six months into the future, 12 months, I know the pain would be so much less. I mean, it was so excruciating, 24, 48, 72 hours. It was just unbearable. And I, and I thought if I could just snap my fingers and be 12 months into the future, I know the pain would be less. Um, yeah, I've, I've thought about that that phrase, that cliche: "Time heals all wounds." I don't think I don't think my wound will ever be healed. Hmm. I don't think it'll ever be healed. Uh, I think the pain's less. You know, uh, I guarantee you, I could not have sat. You know, a year after Blake's death, I could not have sat here like this. this. No, um, but I think love heals, and I have. I have been given the opportunity to to see the blessings that came from Blake's death. And I'll tell you, and I've said this to many, many people, I'm the most blessed man on the planet. I really am. I mean, I've got a wife that loves me. I've got a couple of dogs that love me. and uh, I've got a great place here in the woodlands. I have my health. Uh, I love my job. Uh, in consulting, I just I love it. I'm, I'm the most blessed guy on the planet, and and I know all the love that has been demonstrated to me and Marlo, and even my ex-wife and my daughter, and 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 everybody that all of our, our friends and family close to us, the love that has been shown all of us over the last ten years is just unbelievable, unbelievable, mm-hmm. and. Time doesn't heal. I know love heals. I know love heals. And I'm the most blessed guy on the planet because I'm surrounded by so much love. And I, and I tell you, it comes... We, my wife and I hosted a community group here in this house, in this room, on Friday nights. And a small group, you know, we did Bible studies and we did some secular studies, but, you know, we were close. I'm telling you. Thursday night, Blake dies. Friday morning, the house was full of 40-something people that were in that community group, surrounded by the love and the love that came from, from people of our faith. You know, they just love heals, Justin. I can't, I can't overemphasize that. That's really beautiful. That's, I've never thought of it like that because I've wrestled with that statement, thinking about loss and different things as far as time. Some of it, I don't want to lose some of the feeling of pain of like, I think about my mom. Yeah. Like there's this, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, there, there's some, there's a lot of times when I don't want to lose the pain because yeah. that means I've completely forgotten and letting go, let go of Blake. And I don't want to do that. So, and I think I get some of that when I embrace the Christmas ornament or when I embrace the picture, I feel some of that pain and it connects me to him. I think it's cool. Yeah. I think it's cool. It's manageable now. I can say it more easily at 10 years later. First two or three years, I couldn't say it that easily. Yeah, that takes time for sure. What's So I want to ask you this because I didn't get the chance to know Blake and the circumstances surrounding the way that he left us here. Yeah. It, it can paint the wrong picture sometimes. What do you want me to know about Blake? About Blake? Yeah. The most- First of all, you told me he designed pretty much your yeah your outdoor, outdoor kitchen. grill yeah. kitchen area. Yeah. So he had he had some design skills. But what do you want me to know about Blake? 
Blake, uh, Blake was very idealistic. He was naively idealistic. Uh, I remember I was cleaning out the garage. He was a senior in high school. I was cleaning out the garage one day, and he drives up in his truck, and he gets out, and he goes, Pops, I need to talk to you. And so I pulled up a nice chest and sat down, and he goes, I want to go to the military. Now, this is 2000 and this is 2004, 2005, and, of course, 9-11 just happened a few years earlier, and we were in the thick of things in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And... Um, and he would, see, he would see that on the news. And he was very loyal to his country, very idealistic. He said, Dad, I, I want to I go in the military. Uh, no, son, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to go to college, get a degree, and get a job, and that's just the way it's supposed to work. And uh, he said, no, Dad, I, I want to I serve. I want to go into infantry. Um, he signed a... Uh, a uh, letter of intent to go into special forces. And, and, I, and of course, they just, I, it was, didn't sit well with me at all, but he was insistent on doing that. And he said, Dad, I'll, I'll go in for, for four years. For four years, I'll come out and go to college. It'll all be paid for, and, and I'll get on with my life. We prayed about it, and uh, and, I, and, and slowly but surely, I finally I found myself supporting him doing that. So uh, he went in the military. He, he, he joined the military in August, September of 2005. He graduated in May. He was in, in, in boot camp in, in August of that year. And uh, he walked into every situation uh, naive but incredibly brave. Maybe, maybe that's born out of ignorance. I don't know. But he... Uh, there was nothing that he thought he couldn't do physically, mm. mentally. There was nothing. He was the most confident 18-year-old I think I've ever been around. Um, You're proud of that, aren't you? I'm so proud of that. Yeah. He, he's an example for me. He's an example for me. He, uh, um, Danny Amendola, professional football player, was a year older than Blake at the Woodlands High School. And Blake would say, none of the guys want to try to cover Danny Amendola. Blake was a DB, d- defensive back. He said, but I can cover him. I can cover him. Now, Blake would get burned three out of every four times that he would try to cover Danny Amendola in practice. But that never stopped him. He kept going back. He goes, I can cover him. I can cover him. Blake just, uh, he was naively idealistic. And that's what I want you to know about Blake, is that that innocence, uh moved mountains you know he he never met a stranger funeral was jam-packed standing room only for an 18 year old kid that had touched so many lives i still get emails i still get uh facebook messages about lives that he touched that i didn't know and uh and that's that's what i want you to know about blake he's a good kid very loyal very idealistic, very patriotic, very brave, very courageous. Love that. Last question that I want to ask you would be, what does it mean for you to honor Blake? This is honoring Blake right here. Just for us to have this conversation. Um, You know, Blake's death left a big hole 
in my heart. Uh, and anytime I finally, the opportunity to share what I've learned and how I re recovered, how I grieved and recovered through Blake, that's how we can honor. So if, if this video touches anybody, that's honoring Blake. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's the utmost in, in honor for his death. Well, when I reached out to you, your willingness to say yes and just do this meant a lot. And then when I got here, you said you can talk about whatever you want to. To me, that's not easy for everybody, but I, res I really appreciate that because I know for me, when someone asks about someone I've lost or in my life and, and I can talk about them, it isn't easy. Sometimes yeah. there's tears and I can't get through the sentence, but it does feel like I got to honor them by talking about them. Yeah. And so I appreciate you giving me the chance to hopefully honor Blake. And I want to just say from the outside looking in, you know, it does. it's not fair for any one of us to say and speak for Blake and say he would be proud of you. That's not for <laughs> any one of us to say. But I will say as, as, as I watch and observe your life, I want to commend you because I feel like you are choosing to show up. And I know that any son would be proud of their dad that is choosing to show up, choosing to change their life for the better. Yeah. And you didn't let this take you out. And so I just want you to know that that's what I really admire in you is the fight that you choose to keep showing up. And you're doing it in just really big ways. Thanks. And so I'm going to be behind you on the finish line this year at Ironman. I don't think I'll be ahead of oh, you. Oh, I, I doubt that seriously. <laughs> but I'll be there hopefully with you. I um, It'll be special to be out there. I know you carry a piece of him every time you're out there. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, I see you honoring him in just every way you're living your life. You know, Justin, I look at, I look at it this way. God allows us to go through chapters in our life, experiences in our lives, not to hold them close, not to, not to just lay in a fetal position on the couch in, in, in our pity party and mourn for ourselves. He does this so that we can glorify Him in, in, in ways where we can reach out and help others. You know, we're, we're on this earth to, to serve Him and to serve others. And He allows us to go through these kinds of experiences so that we can glorify Him and serve others. So how do we do that? How do we do that? And so I want to I I glorify God and I want to serve others by talking about my experiences with Blake. Well, thank you for doing it with me here. You're welcome. I just want to say a huge thank you to Sam for this conversation and for allowing me the chance to attempt to honor Blake and his life through this conversation. It was a reminder for me of the sacrifice that so many people make for others. You know, growing up in a military town, I did see firsthand what it was like for families to have to experience someone being gone for a long period of time. Um, and this story was a reminder of, it's not just the sacrifice of time away, it's also sometimes the sacrifice of their life for us and i just want to also say thank you and honor those who are serving our country and honor those families who have lost somebody because they gave of their life to provide freedoms for me for my son for all of us and there's no words that can really seem to do it justice um, thank you hardly seems to be enough but that's what I will say right now is thank you 
for those who have served and to those who have lost somebody, my heart aches for you. And I'm just filled with gratitude for the freedoms that I get to have. And there's a lot of you know, stuff going on inside of our country and division, but uh, you know, no matter what side you are on, I hope you're on the side of each other and we can all realize that our freedoms and our opportunities have come at the expense of someone else. So I would really appreciate if you would share this episode because I think it'd be a special way to honor Blake and honor Sam. And, you know, I don't think Sam's on uh, Instagram, but go over to Facebook and, and try to find Sam Newton. I'll put a link in the show notes. Send him a message. Just love on him. And um, by sharing this episode, I think it's an incredible way to express gratitude and to inspire others who might need to hear this. And so before we close out, I just want to ask one more favor, and that is uh, it would mean a lot if you would take a minute and rate and review the show. This is what helps keep the show going. This is what helps get the show noticed. And every rating, every review counts. <laughs> you can say as uh, little as you want or as much as you want. Uh, you can rate it however you feel fair. And uh, it just it means a lot that you would do that. And thanks to everybody who already has. And so thank you for listening to this episode, for being part of this community that's fighting for brilliance in every area of our lives. And until next time, this is your weekly reminder that you, yes, you, you are brilliant. <laughs>